In 2010, Kiwi Shay Zara Blomfield was instrumental in setting up a collective art space in London called The Composing Rooms for artists and writers. She was only 21. The gallery's 10-year lifespan is recorded in a new book Shay's been working on since she returned to Aotearoa in 2020. Her CV also includes setting up and curating galleries in Berlin and Spain and writing for numerous magazines. Since coming home, Shay's not only worked on the book, but also contributed to the podcast Wiser Conversations, a series of interviews with people responding to the pandemic. There's a gallery of images of art we're about to discuss that you'll find on the Standing Room Only webpage. Well, first, I asked Shay how her London gallery came to be. So the three things that probably led to opening composing rooms were, one, I was running a disco party and that was in the nightlife scene and there were a lot of people who were taking drugs and actually what happened in the recession is that because some better quality drugs became less accessible, people started to take worse drugs And that actually had a really negative effect on some of the people who I knew who were coming to our disco party. And so I wanted to get out of that scene. And so the gallery was a way to create a space where people could come together, but without that need for drug taking. The other aspect was, of course, we were in the crisis and there was a lot of empty spaces. So I saw the potential to open something and just a general interest of in art was the the other reason so I had been researching it was emerging artists who weren't having exhibitions elsewhere that I was interested in but yeah so the first exhibition had artists who all were self-publishing and I had met them kind of through these art bookshops in in London. What was the space like can you describe it What made it the right space? I mean, I just worked with what I could get, but I did really like Bloomsbury. It was close to the British Museum. It's quite a nice part of town in London. And it's also fairly close to where they have the Freeze Art Fair. So I was kind of trying to be strategic. I was only like 21 at this point, so I really didn't have any idea what I was doing. (laughs) Um, But It was a nice space. It was a shop front on um, Theobald's Road. So that's like where it's like Main Street going into central London. I mean, it wasn't a particularly fantastic space for showing art, to be honest. Downstairs, I screened a film by a New Zealand artist called Dave King, actually. Um, And then upstairs, it was three artists. And there was a photographer and then a sculpture by another artist um, down on the left, and then up, I think, further back on the same wall as the photography, there were three paintings by Thomas Jeppe, who's, yeah, all of these artists are all quite successful now. <laughs> so was, so yeah. young, you had a good eye, though, Shay, obviously, but I, I mean, and as you, I mean, it really kind of blows my mind that you were so young to do this. How did you even finance it? How did this work for you financially? So that was just the first exhibition. I think I probably did that on like barely any budget at all. I mean, I had help. I somehow managed to pay for like framing and shipping and printing these works of Russia Cahill. I can't even remember. Just (laughs) I I had a part-time job, I guess, and I just financed it myself. And was there Um, a commission for works that sold? 
Yeah, I did actually sell one work from that exhibition to this amazing Korean woman. She was passing through London on a shopping trip from Korea. And um, yeah, she bought one of Russia's works. And I think Russia let me keep that money um, just to cover the costs of the printing. Yeah. It feels um, like you, you created a really... I was going to say Fano kind of space, you know. I mean, you're all about conversations too, about art, but also about conversations, getting people talking, looking at collaboration. That feels to me like it's been a you know huge motivator for you, um, not just at the composing rooms, but since then. Shay, would you agree? Or was that what you're hoping, bringing together like-minded people, seeing what comes of it in that space? For sure. I think even more than bringing together like-minded people, it's to bring together people who might otherwise not meet and see what they can learn from each other. That's definitely a theme that I'm always interested in. Yeah. And here now with Manzana, of course, I had read this book, Get Off the Grass by Sean Hendy and um, Paul Callahan which is very well researched. It's very fact-based and they're looking at all these statistics about how when you bring people together, that's actually what encourages economic stimulation because ideas, I mean, it's out, everything comes from our our brains, you know, and it's when more brains are together in a, in a physical location that those ideas can be shared and potential can happen. So I've always just loved to introduce people to each other. You are a great believer, aren't you, in these project spaces? Because you're only in Spain, I think, for a couple of years. Um, but you got involved with a project space there as well. Uh, and I think also in, in Berlin. Is that just your, your natural inclination to to find a space to bring, as you say, like-minded and, and people with very diverse views together in a space to see what comes from it? Yeah, so when I moved from London to Berlin, I opened a space there. And actually, our first event was a tea ceremony. And it was really beautiful. Yeah, my Ueda um, hosted that for us. And it was, it was definitely a way to start a conversation between different people who wouldn't usually have that conversation. <laughs> and yeah, of course, here now in New Zealand, it's doing the same I guess or just just connecting people for the sake of having a support network in a community which is really important. Writing this book I imagine was quite emotional really thinking so deeply through that decade. Oh well I mean I love it. I, I love to learn new things and think through different perspectives and that's the joy of art. Like, yeah, each artist has their own commentary on the world, their own way of dealing with our contemporary reality and diving into that world and getting to know it quite intimately. And when I show the book to people, I actually say, this is my life's work <laughs> because it feels like that. It's like I lived through this gallery for almost 10 years. So remarkable. This will be a hard question because you've just had to write an entire book about it. But I thought if you give the listeners an idea of perhaps the range of work that was shown within that 
space, you know, because you've got object work, you've got some garments, you've got photography, sculpture, the whole thing. But maybe some mm. of the ones that we, you know have have stayed with you most strongly, the the images or the artists or, or some of the the work would be great to hear about. I'm thinking of the work of Rachel Lord, our Lord, and her paintings. She kind of borrows the style of kind of cartoony, um, black and white painting, although they're huge paintings. And so they're very easy, I think, for people to grasp because there's this comical aspect to them, but then they're very political as well. And she was referencing um, also tarot cards and a lot of symbolism in the works. And then the conversations were around politics and environmental issues and conspiracy theories. So quite complex works, but also in a sense, very, a tr very traditional medium in comparison to a lot of the other work that I showed, which includes um, Teletubby sculptures by Nina Cristante and digital prints and video and some strange sculptures, including live flowers. Yeah, I mean, it's really varied in the aesthetic form, but the theme was always around how we are negotiating our contemporary world and and part of that being how we have been during that time that I run the gallery from 2010 to 2000 and well it was kind of 2019 how we saw more and more things through a screen and what sort of things that we were thinking about and were there any works that you were able to buy? I, I know that money would be pretty tight. And as a curator, you weren't only going to artists whose work you loved. I think it's a very poor yeah. curator who does that because you want to have that variety and have an open mind. But were there any works that you couldn't part with? Oh, for sure. I am very, very glad to have bought some works. I did buy a beautiful little watercolour um, by Rachel Lord that was significant to a quite a popular body of work that she produced called the Angry Bird Paintings. And I mean, obviously, because I had this very close relationship with the artists, I was able to often get the work at quite a good price. Um, I also bought some works off Petra Courtright in 2012 after exhibiting her work. And it's crazy for me to think back and at the time she really needed the money and I was I also you know paid a kind of tiny amount compared to what the, the value the market value of those works were at the time but now yeah I mean now she's internationally famous so yeah I bought some video work from her which I'm very glad I did and I've got I've actually been given or yeah acquired quite a lot of work from artists I've worked with and yeah I just don't know where the home for them all should be I actually pitched to a gallery here in New Zealand to exhibit the collection and I think that would be amazing one day to do that to bring it all together because some of it's in storage in Milan and Berlin and London <laughs> it's all over the place right now 
Back home now for, I guess, a couple of years, coming back in 2020, um, and I see that you have been working on some podcasts, uh, which I really like the sound of as well. But what are your plans? Are you going to stay or are you, are you going to head back away? Well, I've been back since March 2020 when the pandemic really hit bad and fast in Spain. And I need, I'm actually leaving on the 9th of June to finally go and reconnect with my friends and colleagues over in Europe. And hopefully I can make it to the US as well. I'm not sure yet, but I will be gone for a little while, but I'm coming back to New Zealand. There's a part of me that does want to make New Zealand my home now, but it is, it has been hard um, to do that to reacquaint with this the different cultural way of life here I think that's probably a sentiment that's shared by a lot of quote-unquote returnees um but you know New Zealand is a very unique place and I think there's a lot of potential here and it needs vision and diverse perspective the podcast you mentioned is Wiser Conversations and our kind of modus operandi is that to encourage you know new perspectives and a healthier new normal as we recover from the pandemic. Shay Zara Blomfield her book's called The Composing Rooms 2010 to 2020 